Hey everyone, it's Allison here with New Little Life. I'm an internationally board certified lactation counselor, a nurse, a doula, and a mom of three little boys. Here on the New Little Life podcast, we'll talk with real moms about their breastfeeding experience, the good parts and the bad, and share real and practical advice about breastfeeding. Connect with and learn from other moms and professionals to help you meet your breastfeeding goals. Hey everyone, welcome back to the New Little Life podcast. Today's interview is with Sierra, who is a mother of one sweet little girl. She's an American living with her husband and baby here in Europe, up in the Netherlands. So I can really relate to her uh, having a child and raising a child here in Europe. So that was fun. She's also a birth doula and childbirth educator, which I think is how we met. This interview is a little bit different style, and I'll tell you a little bit about that when we start chatting. But she has some really personal and real motherhood stories and advice to share with you. We talk about the mental and emotional difficulties of breastfeeding, breastfeeding in public, mom shaming, overcoming challenges and readjusting your goals, and so much more. It's a long episode, so I'm going to keep this intro short, but you'll love what Sierra has to share. So here we go. Hi, Sierra. Um, I'm really glad that you're here today. We were just catching up actually before we started this recording and realized that I feel like we're friends, but I don't think we've actually ever met no, not in person. No, um, which is stupid because we live pretty close. We should meet before. I, know. I don't know if you guys are going to go back to the States or not, but we are headed back do. to the States this summer. Yeah, we're moving back. This yeah. Summer. See, if they ever let down these lockdowns, then oh, then gosh. we should meet before Telling you go. Right. That'd be great. It's, this is the digital age where you just, you know, people online and you feel like you know them. You feel Actually, like you know them. You're a doula as well, right? Is that how we got connected? Was in like in a doula group or something? I think think so. I, I am a doula and a childbirth educator, and I'm pretty sure I found you in one of those groups at some point. I think it was too. Anyway, I'm excited I'm to be sure. doing this interview in the morning because I usually have to record them at night with people in the States. So we're on the same time zone. So yeah, that makes it easier. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving this. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you today. You made a Facebook post the other day about your breastfeeding journey, and you kind of talked about the four things you've learned in the first year of breastfeeding. And I loved every word. So I immediately messaged you and was like, hey, will you come on my podcast and share this? Because you said things so well. So I think today what we're going to do is kind of just, I'm going to kind of remind you of those points. And I would love to hear you expand on them a little bit and just share your thoughts and experiences with more moms. I think it's really valuable. Okay. Cool. Yes. Perfect. All right. So can you actually just start out by telling us a little bit about who you are, your family, what you do, anything you'd like to share there? Okay. So I'm Sierra. I'm 22, three, two, 22. Um, I'll be 23 very soon. That's what, don't mind me. Anyway, um, most people think that I'm quite a bit older than I am because I, because of where I am in my life. Um, I'm married. I live in the Netherlands, um, but I'm actually an American and my husband is Dutch. Um, We have a one-year-old daughter and her name is Charlotte. And she is, of course, the star of all this breastfeeding. Yep. Um, She has has recently learned to pull off mom's shirt. So that's fun. (laughs) Um, One-year-old. Yeah, my husband and I met in 2016 um, doing volunteer work. 
um, for a Christian organization in Alabama. And we had both gone there for the summer to volunteer. Um, I was the cook. They said I was going to be, I was like 18 at the time. And they said I was going to be helping in the kitchen. And as it turned out, I was like the only kitchen worker. So I was (laughs) feeding anywhere. Oh yeah. I was feeding anywhere from 25 to 50 people every night. Oh my word. Um, and I was pretty much like sometimes we would, we would have volunteers that came through occasionally, but as far as regular people, I was the only one. Wow. But anyway, um, Josh kind of stuck around the kitchen a lot and yeah, the fastest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So that's, that's <laughs> <for> I'm sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. We, we stayed in contact and we were in a long distance relationship for, uh, two and a half years before I came here. Um, I came here in February of 2019, so we're almost to that two-year mark, and then I went back to the, we got married in the Netherlands in a courthouse, and then in the United States in April 2019, we had a big, like, the church ceremony with family and friends and the regular party and stuff. Cool. Two days after arriving back in the Netherlands, like, officially to stay in April, I found out I was pregnant. Ah. <laughs> So that was a big surprise. Like, okay, new country and new marriage and okay, now baby. Um, And it was not an accident. We definitely wanted a baby. She was not an accident at all, but they usually just say like three to six months or whatever. Yeah, totally. Not for us. Like three to six hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It felt like more, yeah, more like it. (laughs) I can really relate to you being in a a foreign country and like trying to raise children. Yeah. Yeah you have even less support than we do like here in the military. So I I'm, you're amazing. (laughs) Can I just say that? It's not, Um, no, (laughs) no, it's been a journey for sure. Eventually we actually want to move to a different city that has more of an expat support group because it is really hard for me to be, you know, it's very isolating. We live in a really rural community. Um, We don't, I don't, the nearest American I know lives still about a half an hour away um and she has three kids and they're a little bit older than mine but we still get together for play dates and stuff sometimes so that's nice yeah and then you throw corona into it and charlotte was 11 weeks old when the first lockdown started oh so like i was just getting the hang of newborn and then there was a pandemic and it's literally never stopped since this has been really hard for especially first time moms like yeah because I remember as a first time mom, my lifeline was like other moms or like a little bit of adult interaction here and there. So this has been incredibly hard for, to be so locked down and so isolated. And then for you also in a country where you're learning yeah, absolutely. language. And, where um, you already don't know anybody. <laughs> right. And then it sounds like also your breastfeeding experience was kind of a little challenging at times. Yeah. So yeah, it was, um, they say it's so natural and it should come natural, but it didn't come natural for us. Yeah. Did you take any like a uh, childbirth class or like breastfeeding course beforehand? Or did you just know stuff? Like, okay. why so did you decide to breastfeed in the first place? Yeah. I was a know-it-all. Okay. Because I was a childbirth educator and a doula totally. before I got pregnant. Yeah. I had already done that training. So I thought, oh, I know all this. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um. I probably should have listened to someone else because I was kind of in the parent shoes and not the educator shoes, but that's a different topic. (laughs) We talk about that almost every episode. Like, I'm a professional. I should know this. But when you're actually doing it, it's it's a different ballgame. For sure. Um, I did have a doula. um, And that was like my non-negotiable. I told my husband, I'm like, listen, 
this is something I don't care how much it costs. We're going to do this because I don't have anyone here. I need to have someone in my corner who I know who it is and I love you, but I don't know how you're going to react to me being in labor because you've never seen me in pain before. So we're getting a doula. (laughs) Yeah. And when I was 36 weeks, my doula actually had to have emergency surgery and could not do our birth. Oh, no. Yeah. So that was a lovely surprise. Um, we ended up having her backup who I got to meet and it still, it went well. Our, her backup was able to come and, um, but yeah, it was a whole, whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Change your plans. Here we go. Yeah. But as far as childbirth classes, I did, I did a little bit of prep with my doula, but like when she would go into this or that, like for breathing exercises or want to practice, I'd be like, oh yeah, no, I don't need that. I'll be fine. Uh, I'm trained in this. Yeah. Yeah. And looking back, I I should have done it. (laughs) But anyways, that didn't happen. So. Yeah. So breastfeeding. Okay. Let's just start with number one here. You mentioned here that breastfeeding is hard and specifically mentally. Can you expound a little bit on that? Tell us tell us what you mean. So I think the biggest thing I was unprepared for was the mental drain that breastfeeding is. Like, I thought... My whole pregnancy, actually, I didn't question breastfeeding. I thought I would be fine. I didn't... Like, that was, like, the one thing I never questioned was, I'll be able to breastfeed. That won't be a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I don't... It, my mom breastfed. Um, wow. So I remember watching her breastfeed my brothers and... I guess I just never even questioned it. I never even thought like that that might be a difficult thing for me. And so it was a difficult thing for me. And Mm -hmm. I was not prepared to handle that because I didn't think it would be. Um, And it was difficult physically, but the mental load of breastfeeding is like something nobody talks about. And you cannot understand it until you've done it. Um, and that's the same thing. Like my husband has seen me do it, but he'll readily admit, like, I still don't understand completely because I, I'm not the one that has done this. I'm not the one who has fed this child every three hours for a year. Um, and people say like, oh, well you can pump and give a bottle. I'm like, yes, but if I pump and give a bottle, I still have to pump. So I may as well just feed the child. Yeah. And that's what, it's a huge huge mental burden I feel like and not that it's not worth it and not to like I don't say this to like discourage anybody who's listening um but it is something that you need to take into account is that it will affect you more than just physically because it's just a lot on me like even now like we've finally night weaned her hooray she's still breastfeeding yeah um but we've night weaned her and that makes a world isn't that huge I love that phase yeah, that was the best because <laughs> I finally get some sleep now. Um, but before we night weaned, I remember I got to this point where I was just like, and we were like nine months in at this point, And I was just crying because I was so tired and she wanted to nurse and she was twiddling the other boob while she was sleeping. Yeah. So she was fast asleep. My husband was fast asleep and I could not sleep. And I just started crying and I was so tired. Um, and usually I wouldn't recommend anyone night weaning as early as we did. We did it about nine months, but it was because we were at that point where she was like latched the whole night and twiddling my boob and I was getting no sleep. And it was either, I basically told my husband, I'm like, listen, we are either night weaning or I'm weaning. So we're going to night wean or I'm going to wean completely. Yeah. Because I was not getting any sleep. Um, and that mental burden of just knowing that. Um, not only was it going to be 
through the night, but it was going to be in the morning and it was going to be the next day. And if she went to her nanny, then I was going to have to pump. And it's, that's really heavy on your mind. Like, honestly, I feel like it was heavier mentally than it was physically Yeah, for us. Yeah. I, and babies can sleep through the night at nine months, like physically. So yeah, I don't even feel like that's that early, but it's just, it all depends on your family dynamic. Like you said, whatever works yeah, best for she you would and your occasionally baby. sleep through and give me like five or six hours at a time so mm-hmm. what we ended up doing was I would put her to bed at like 7 30 or whatever like normal and then when I went to bed between 10 and 11 I would nurse her one more time and she would like sleep through that like dream feeding yeah and then between 11 and 5 she was not allowed any milk If she woke up, of course, I would still go or rock her or comfort her or my husband would or he'd try. But usually she'd just scream more because she wanted me. Um, So at first, like the first week, I was like really thinking, like, is this even going to help? Like, I'm just rocking a screaming child now and she's mad that I'm not nursing her. But yeah, it, it did get better after that. And actually, she started basically sleeping through the night once she realized that she was not going to get milk during those hours. And then after five, we would allow her like to have milk again, because I didn't want to send her through too long of a like, I wasn't going to expect her 12 whole hours without milk or something. Sure. Um, but we just gave my, myself that little six hour block that I could get some sort of a decent stretch of sleep in. Yeah, and that it makes a world huge of difference. Yeah. It it improved my mental outlook. And honestly, I don't think I would have been able to continue breastfeeding at that point if we hadn't done that. Um, When she was younger, we would co-sleep. And she, yeah, she would just nurse and we'd both sleep through it and it was fine. But when she got older and she started doing the twiddling and she wouldn't let go. And that was when it was time to night wean. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm sorry. I'm like going on this whole tangent. No, I love meeting. it. That's not what this is about. <laughs> no, it's perfect. This is the kind of stuff moms need to hear like the real life and not be afraid to pivot when stuff isn't working for you. You know? Yeah. Um, maybe that wasn't your goal tonight. wean her that early, but stuff wasn't working. And no, so I was actually just... convinced that if I night weaned her before a year that I would end up not being able to breastfeed anymore. I don't know why. I don't know why I believe that. I know that's not true, but in my head, I was... It was, you have to wait until she's a year and then you can continue breastfeeding and it will be okay. I don't know why. It's a That's legit concern. Yeah. Like if I stop this now, is she going to like not take it at all? And I'm not ready right. to be all the way done. No, that's a definitely a, babies don't usually do that. If you night wean them, you could definitely still, still oh breastfeed yeah, She's very happy to nurse in the morning. But I, that's a, a, a real concern for sure. All right. The second point you made in this post that I loved was really interesting. And you talked a little bit about shaming and breastfeeding, you know, especially like in public or things that people have said to you. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this, especially where you're living in the Netherlands. But yeah, have you been back to the States at all since your baby's been born? I have been. Um, We went back in November, which was like right before they started requiring the corona test to get back home, which is good because right now to re-enter the Netherlands, you have to have a negative test 72 hours before. Okay. But the tests take three to five days in the States. Super cool. So basically there's no travel. Yeah. So I'm really glad. But yeah, we went back in November for two weeks and we visited, we went for Thanksgiving and my mom's health wasn't very good. So we went to go help her and just see, um, yeah, check in on everybody. It had been more than a year since I'd been back to the States. It had been a year and a half, actually. 
So tell us a little bit about some of the experiences you've had, especially breastfeeding in public or comments from other moms, uh, either there in the Netherlands or the States. Yeah. I thought that we, as a society of so-called civilized people, had moved beyond shaming mothers for feeding their children. And some moms will say, yeah, no, I've never had a problem. And I am so happy for them because that was not my experience. Um, Where I live, like I said, my husband is Dutch. I'm American. We live in a rural city in the Netherlands. Um, There's a lot of old-fashioned mentalities here. Some of those being like um, that breastfeeding is... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't completely understand it. I still don't completely understand it. Like, do they think it's shameful or do they think it's private? Like I've been told it's intimate and you need to be doing it away because it's intimate between you and your child. And I'm like, that's just creepy. I'm just feeding her. Um, It's a little weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really creepy. (laughs) But I also think a lot of people like, I always joke that when I moved here, I moved back to 1950. Like, we have cobblestone streets. Nothing is open on Sunday. Everything closes at 5 p.m. You can't go shopping at 6 because it's all already closed. Um, so you see the old-fashioned mentality, not just in this. But I also think a lot, like, my husband was formula-fed. His brother was formula-fed. All of the mothers were formula-feeding because that mentality that started in the 50s and kind of, it, it lasted longer here, that formula was better than breast milk. Hmm. Because they're they're not slow, or they're not fast to change their ideas here. So when formula was introduced in the fifties, and it really became more readily available, and they started, you know, offering it as the solution for the modern woman, and that that lasted that phase lasted longer before we started to realize the different benefits that breastfeeding has. Sure, and so. My husband and all of his generation, our gener- his gener- our generation yeah. um, here was primarily formula fed. Um, outside of that, the formula rates are still really high here. Um, over 80% of mothers will actually initiate breastfeeding at birth here. Okay. But by three months old, that's dropped to 30%. Oh, wow. And by six months old, it's only 13%. Wow, and that's, according- that's really that- low. I, I can send you the link. That's actually according to a study from the University of Kroninga. That'd be great. We'll put it down in the show notes. I'd love to read that. Yeah. And so, and that's actually because our maternity leave ends at three months here. You actually get four months, but it's four weeks before the birth and then 12 weeks after. Oh, okay. And those breastfeeding rates instantly start declining when mom goes back to work. Yeah. Which I can, and a lot of moms work there, correct? I know a lot of moms do here yeah, in Belgium. Yeah, primarily it's two-income families. The fact that yeah, I stay here home as well. and we have a child, and my husband and I are both very young. Um, my husband is 26 and I'm 22. And so people look at us and they're like, wow, you have your own house and your husband is the only one that works. And like, how do you how do you do that? Because that's really not common here. Here as it's well. It's much more... It's much more typical for a first-time mother to be, like, I have never met another first-time mom my age. Never. Not Mm -hmm. here. Like, I met someone, and she was, like, 10 years older than me, but she has a baby the same age, and she lives nearby, so she came for a play date. But, yeah, there's there's no one my age here. It's different. I mean, we could have a whole other episode on the cultural differences of mothering like it's so it's so crazy yeah i'm I'm trying to lay the foundation um, as to how (laughs) breastfeeding is perceived here because like as far as 
how my experiences went. It was really unfortunate. Like you have something called Kramvisita here. If you translated it directly, it would just mean postpartum visit, I guess. It's basically a standard thing to do when a baby is born and family or friends or whoever, you send out your little birth announcement cards and they can text your husband or your partner or the father or whoever um, to make an appointment to set up a kramfasita, a, a visit. And that's just to meet the baby. And at first I was like hearing this and I'm like, that kind of makes me uncomfortable because I don't want to be like hosting a whole bunch of people right after I'm handed this whole little person to take care of. Mm -hmm. But actually I did prefer that system because that way you could say like, yeah, you can come in a couple of weeks or whatever. It's not like in the US where you have people showing up in your hospital room. Yeah. Which I think is also, that's a different argument. Right. Um, yeah. But we had like, for example, we had some friends of the family that I'd I don't really know them, honestly, but they're friends of my husband's family that had wanted to come. And later on, she told me my husband, or no, she told my, she, she told another close family member that she was horrified when she saw me pull my breast out in front of her husband. And they would not have come if they knew there would have been open breastfeeding. And I was just like floored by this. I was like, um... I did not pull my breast out in front of your husband. I fed my child. There's a difference. I'm not a stripper. <laughs> right. And you just had um, a baby. Like, I wonder what they expect. I wonder what the norm is I don't, there. I don't know. I have been told before that you should go upstairs. Um, but like, that's so horribly impractical. Like with a newborn, they want to nurse like every five minutes sometimes. Like, And also it's your nurse house. For, like, exactly. It's my house. <laughs> But they want to nurse like, but that, that whole argument on that side, it's just not practical because like you'd be up and down, up and down, up and down, or you could just live upstairs when you had guests over. Like with a newborn, that's just not yeah. going to work. And then they'll say like, oh, well, you should use a cover. I remember um, when she was two or three weeks old, I wanted out of the house. So we went to Zwolle, which is another city about half an hour from here. And it's a little bit bigger. There's more shopping and stuff. And we just went to like a... A big shopping center and we had done some walking and we stopped at mcdonald's for lunch now i hate mcdonald's in the u.s but european mcdonald's is actually pretty good it's better isn't it yeah <laughs> i like european mcdonald's and i was sitting at the table and she wanted to nurse and i was so uncomfortable because of the other experiences i had already had to even nurse her that i remember i was like hiding in the mcdonald's bathroom trying to latch my newborn, struggling to hold her and latch her. And I couldn't, like, we, we, Charlotte had a severe tongue and lip tie, and it was undiagnosed until she was 10 weeks old. Ugh. So we had a lot of struggles from that. But I remember, like, hiding in the bathroom, trying to latch her, and then trying to cover her with a blanket to go back to the table to nurse her because there was nowhere to sit in the bathroom. And it was just, like, it makes me really sad that I felt like I had to do that. Yeah. But I'm going to actually read a couple of the quotes from my post, just things that have been told to me. Yeah. Um, I was told, like, wouldn't you be more comfortable in a private room? Like, wouldn't you be, like, hint, hint, I'm not. But wouldn't you Super be... Super passive aggressive, yeah. Yeah. Um, or breastfeeding is too intimate to be done publicly. Um, your breasts are for your husband. Yes. Um, That's my favorite. <laughs> mm -hmm. I heard it from multiple people. Um, I don't want to get into who it was because that just would make things uncomfortable, but 
it was very close family members who didn't need to be worrying about my husband and my breasts. Right. I mean, made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you come to my house, you have to feed her upstairs. I'm like, okay, then we're not coming. And they got offended when we didn't come. Of course, they did, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, my husband was horrified when he saw you pull your breast out. I mentioned that one. Oh, this one was good. You shouldn't breastfeed. This one was told to a close family member by her cleaner. Okay. Who she was discussing, um, a close family member who didn't approve of my breastfeeding by her cleaner. Oh, um, who she was discussing my breastfeeding with. And she said... Oh, yeah. You shouldn't breastfeed in front of your husband. He will lose interest. I won't even pump in front of my husband. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that one. Um, how shallow do you think these men are? Like, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like you're not even giving the men a chance. Yeah. Yeah. He watched me go through labor. I'm pretty sure he can handle watching me feed his baby. I don't know. Like, I mean, like, if you had had a discussion with your partner and they had told you they were uncomfortable, like, that's one thing. Like, you should take into account your partner's feeling. But just assuming that men don't want to see that, I think is unfair. That's totally to unfair. And yeah. that's what, like, in the beginning, Josh was uncomfortable because he had never seen his wife pull out a boob and feed a child. And I was going to ask you people. what your husband's thoughts were, especially where he's from this culture. And yeah, so he's never seen it before. It took him a while to get used to it. And the first couple months he was still a little like, well, hopefully she'll use a cover eventually. But he also knew that it was too hard for me to latch her with a cover. And then when she got older, she was too wild. And yeah. like, I have a child who will stand like she will literally stand on my lap and kick one leg up in the air and smack my boob with the other hand. And she'll be dancing and wagging her hips while she's nursing. Yeah. There's no getting a cover on this child. You're not alone. No. <laughs> and so at first he was really like, well, I wish you'd use a cover or go upstairs or something. He was really uncomfortable. And then he started to see the backlash I was getting from other people. Yeah. And he saw how hard it was for me. And he ended up also like really upset. Like, this is ridiculous. They are over-sexualizing you. You are feeding a baby like... He was, and he's actually a really big advocate for it now. And I think that's normal. I think it's especially uncommon, or especially common, sorry, for first-time dads um, when their wife is, or their partner, or their yeah, baby mama. I don't know what you want to, it depends on what situation you're in, I guess. But yeah. um, I think it's really um, common for them to be uncomfortable with it, like, not in that they even see it as a negative thing, but just as it's a new thing for them. And they're not used to it. I mean, no, boobs are not just for my husband. But when he saw them before, it was not with a baby on them. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a new thing. And I saw not too long ago a post that it was a single mom who had found a guy who was really great. And he was really supportive. And he was like, they got along so well. And he was perfect in everything sort of thing. Except he was really uncomfortable with her breastfeeding. And he had asked her not to do it around his autistic brother. Which I understand. My my brother-in-law is actually the only person I will um, move upstairs for. Because he also has mental struggles and he could not handle that. It would be too much for him. And I do think that little bit of discretion, I think that's valid. Like, mm -hmm. there are certain scenarios where I would... But I think in general, as a society, we need to be more like 
Mm -hmm. she's just feeding her kid okay leave her alone yeah but um all these women on that post um were like jumping on this poor woman like oh dump him dump him dump him and I'm like that's not even fair he's not used to this my husband wasn't used to it either um have open discussions and see like where is the source of this because I think most men even if they're uncomfortable with it in the beginning they will be like okay, I understand now when they see why you're doing this and how you're doing this and how hard it is for you to do this. I think they will, like, like my husband made a complete 180 from being like, well, can't you just use a cover or something to, wow, yeah, no, this is ridiculous. They need to not be expecting this of you. You're, you're already trying to get her to latch or you're already trying to get her to nurse or you're already, you know, you're juggling all these balls and they don't need to be worrying about whether or not you're using a cover. Or if you're going upstairs or in hiding in a McDonald's bathroom. Oh, I, I, I wish that your story was not the norm, but I'm afraid that more mothers experience this than, oh, yeah. than we think, you know? I know someone whose husband actually will not allow her to breastfeed without a cover. And it like makes me so sad for her. And also I'm, I grew up in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people who think I am really uh, liberal now because I will wear leggings and not a skirt all of the time or something, which is really sad to me because my faith is very important to me Um, and my faith hasn't changed, but I see it a lot in those communities even. And like, um, I think modesty can be an important thing for some women um, Mm -hmm. in how they dress And I think that's totally valid if it's their choice. But I think shaming a mother for breastfeeding because it's immodest is like so, so inappropriate. Like I love that I love that you just brought that up. That you can still be modest and use a cover or whatever makes you that's what you good. If that's what you want, a hundred percent. You don't. But it shouldn't be this expectation from others on you. Mm I totally agree. I don't feel like we have to all go out and breastfeed our babies in public to like make a statement. I don't think no. any mom is like making a statement. <laughs> like we're just, just trying to feed our babies. <laughs> yes. And if you want to cover up because you feel better that way, please do. And I'm not going to judge you for covering up either. Cause like I, I wanted to that, use a cover. You know? mm-hmm. I wanted to use a cover. I did. I, I felt more comfortable with it. But like I said, we had so many troubles with latching and now my kid will do like this whole, whole dance while she's trying to nurse and she'll hang upside down to nurse and she'll you know there's if I put a cover on her she actually will not nurse because it distracts her so much yeah so yeah there's it's totally okay to cover if you want to cover but um, it's okay to go upstairs if you want to go upstairs it's okay to hide in the McDonald's bathroom if that's what you want but it should never be a societal expectation yeah Along these same lines, your your third bullet here kind of mentioned how people will sometimes tell you you're lucky that you have been able to breastfeed so long. Um, yeah. And I'd, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on that kind of mentality as well. Okay, so I have a hard time approaching this because I feel like it could easily be taken as insensitive to those who maybe did not breastfeed as long as I've been able to, I... or they did use formula, or and this is not a reflection on that at all. This is not like, I know how hard it is. Believe me firsthand. If you tell me it was too hard, I will believe you. I will not judge you. I am going to be the last person in the world, especially, like I said, with the mental load that breastfeeding um, carries and also the physical 
aspects and maybe oversupply or undersupply or tongue and lip ties or all of the different things that can make it more difficult. Um, but I get told all the time because I have made it so long um, and that's not very common that I'm lucky that I got to breastfeed so long. And I'm like, no, I am not lucky. This has been a battle that I have fought tooth and nail to continue. Um, I mentioned briefly that Charlotte was diagnosed with a tongue and a lip tie when she was 10 weeks old. But if you rewind the clock a little bit further and look at when she was born, um, I actually planned a home birth and I transferred to the hospital. And so that was not my plan. I had been on my due date. I thought it was a great idea to be all over in all different cities and all different towns. And I was so busy and I was doing shopping. And then I had managed to pick a fight with my poor husband dealing with a very heavily pregnant, cranky wife. Um, And I was up until like almost one o'clock in the morning fighting. And then we had finally worked that out and went to bed and everything was better between us. And I woke up at 2.30 in the morning or maybe 2, 2.30. I don't remember anymore. But maybe an hour, hour and a half later, I woke up with strong contractions, like so strong. And you're already exhausted. That's a a rough way to start labor for sure. Yeah. And so and all I could think was like these contractions were already lasting a minute at a time and they were coming every two or three minutes straight off the bat. And so I was like, what the heck is this? I need to slow these down. It's too early for them to be this fast. So I went and I got in the tub and I didn't even wake my husband up. I went straight to the tub and I drew a warm bath and I was trying to relax myself so they would slow down. And while I was in the water, it helped. But my husband came a couple minutes later because he could apparently hear me because I was like making noise through the contractions. It was like instant hard labor, fast labor. And so he came and he was like, "Um, should I call the midwife? And I'm like, no, don't call her. I don't think this is really it. He's like, well, are they more Braxton Hicks? I'm like, no. He's like, well, then that would make it it, wouldn't it? And he's like, I'm like, no, I don't think so. And so it's too logical. Stop with the stop with the common yeah. sense this is I, I didn't think it was actually labor yeah. and so they said that after one contraction every five minutes for an hour we were supposed to call but like I said mine started over two or three minutes yeah and after an hour he's like well we should call and I'm like no I want to wait a little longer because I don't think this is really it and so we waited another hour and he asked again I think we should call and I was like no I don't want to I don't think we should And so he ended up ignoring me and calling anyways, which was a good thing because it did turn out to actually be labor. But anyway, my water broke at three centimeters. So I had kind of lost that cushion that helps soften the contractions a little. And they got even more intense and were still coming every two or three minutes. And after 12 hours like that, I was only about four and a half centimeters. Wow. Yeah. I was utterly exhausted. Mm -hmm. I was like at the point of desperation where I felt like I was crying just because I didn't, I knew there was another one coming and I couldn't mentally handle it. I did not want another one. Yeah. I wanted a break. Um, it got, it kind of passed that barrier from pain that I can get through a little longer to suffering where I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. Sure. And, and that's usually, the point. yeah, exactly. And usually they say like, when you get to the point where you feel like you can't do it anymore, you're almost done. But I wasn't, I was only four yeah. and a half centimeters. So we made the decision to go to the hospital. 
um, at the hospital, it was really busy. There were 15 babies born. It was Christmas. Wow. It was Christmas Day. Yes, um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And there were 15 babies born. So they were actually really amazing at the hospital. Like, they, I had the epidural, and which is funny because that was like the one thing I did not want. I did you not want rest, an epidural. Though. You needed yeah, rest I needed sure. I needed rest. And later on, we found out that I had a velament discord insertion, which okay. is when the cord is not protected by the Wharton's jelly. It's just un, like unprotected veins that are running exposed through the water bag. Yeah. And I found out I had minor vasa previa, meaning those unex, unex, uh, unprotected cor- veins were at the base of my cervix. Wow. So they okay. were getting the brunt of that. And like looking back, I. I know not everyone has a faith, but I definitely do. And I thank God that my daughter was safe because the infant loss rate with those complications undiagnosed is 52%. If one of those cords had broken, they would have had six minutes to get her out. And I live 45 minutes from the hospital. So I thank God that he gave me that intuition that I needed to rest and I needed to go to the hospital. Anyway, we're totally turning this into a birth story. No, I'm glad you shared. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but after she was born, I did get like the golden hour. I actually had her on my chest for two hours after she was born. Great. And nobody touched her. Nobody took her. They actually let me push upright and, um, they shut off my epidural at the end because they wanted me to be able to feel it, which is logical. It helps physio physiologically, but I didn't have the hormones or the pain meds at that point. So it was rough. I remember thinking, I didn't know they shut it off. And I remember thinking like, if this is with pain meds, how the heck do women do this without (laughs) yeah actually I didn't have the pain meds um but I can also say that those early contractions were actually worse than transition I don't know how or why but they were worse something was just yeah it was insane but after she was born she latched for two hours straight awesome she she wanted her milk well normally that would be awesome but like i said she had an undiagnosed tongue and lip tie yeah i think they were so busy at the hospital they did check her i remember seeing them check her mouth um and i don't know if they weren't properly trained in that which is also possible could be or if they just missed it because it was so busy like my midwife i remember i was pushing like she was crowning um and they were actually amazing i was still a little bit tingly in my legs my pain meds were off, but I, my legs were still jelly. And so they lifted me up onto a birthing stool so I could sit upright, which was like amazing because they knew I didn't want to birth on my back. But I remember her getting called to another birth while I was pushing and her saying, no, I'll finish this one first. She will go faster. And that was like the biggest like, okay, I can do this. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> I'm almost there. The doctor just said it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but after she was born, we did get those uninterrupted skin to skin and the initial latch was, I thought good, but like it didn't hurt at first, but I was also like on a woo birth high and (laughs) I don't know. Um, But within 12 hours after the birth, my nipples were cracked and bleeding and purple and, and like the size of a golf ball. I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know that could happen. And like, I was like, once again, like I'm a doula, I help people latch their newborns. Like I know how to do this. Yeah. It was not, it was not good. So who did, who diagnosed her um, tongue ties? You said it was about 10 days, 10 weeks. Oh, 10 weeks. 10 weeks. Yeah. She was almost, she was two months old already. Wow. Did you have them revised as well? 
we did. Um, we took her to a tongue tie clinic. It's actually specializes in it. And oh. we saw there was a pediatric dentist and a IBCLC we saw there. Um, and they both looked and agreed that she had a severe tongue and lip tie and we had them laser revised. And was breastfeeding a little bit easier for you after that? Well, if you go back to the first week, I was using nipple shields. Okay. Um, which I was worried, like, they, you know, they always say, like, in the really pro breastfeeding groups, they say, like, you know, skin to skin and latch the baby as long as they want and, you know, never use bottles or nipple shields or pacifiers or blah, blah, blah. But we were using nipple shields. And also because I could only handle her nursing about 15 minutes at a time while I was trying to heal up my poor nips. And um, so we were using a pacifier because she was a newborn and she wanted to suckle. Yeah. But I couldn't give that to her. And so I was able to, well, we had a, uh, I had to supplement her also. When she was four days old, she was showing signs of pretty, pretty severe dehydration. And so it wasn't like my milk wasn't really in yet. Um, it was still so painful to breastfeed. And I remember like the third night I was crying in the middle of the night because I had to breastfeed her, but I didn't want to because it hurt so bad. The third day is traditionally the hardest for it a was lot of moms. Horrible. That If you can make it through day three, I mean. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I put a video on my YouTube channel about like the for every day for the first week of breastfeeding. Yeah. And day three, I'm like, you can do this. This is the rough Hang day. in there. Your milk's transitioning, it's not in yet. I knew before she was born, I did not have formula in my house because I knew if it was an option, I'd want to use it. So I didn't have it in my house. Um, We did end up having to get some and we supplemented her on day four. I spoon fed her, um, I think only 10 or 15 milliliters after I breastfed her. And we did that, I think two times and then one more time on day five. And then by then my milk was really in and she was doing better. But she was showing such strong signs of dehydration. Um, And that's a big thing for any mom who's listening to this. Like, don't be afraid to supplement. Just make sure you do it properly. And, like, topping off with a bottle after every feed is not necessary. Um, Usually, it it depends on your scenario. You you need to work with someone. Not often. I was. Yeah. It's not often, though. And I was so worried that by like I cried and cried when we gave her that formula because I thought that I wasn't going to be able to breastfeed if I gave her supplements and supplements have a time and a place you just have to make sure you're using them correctly I I totally agree um as she got older when she was 10 days old I think we were able to get rid of the nipple shields wow and even with her tongue tie that's amazing yeah Yeah, I don't know exactly what, but I guess she just started compensating because I was able, like, we had gone to Amsterdam, which is really, it was nine days old. Um, We had gone to Amsterdam, which is stupid with a newborn, by the way. Very stupid. That's a big city to navigate. We went to the airport in Amsterdam, and this was actually, so this was the first week of January of 2020. And the reports of the coronavirus were just starting to flicker in from China. It was not in Europe yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember we were in this international airport and I just started crying because I was convinced my child was going to get this scary new virus that came out of China because I was going to bump into someone who had just shown up in Amsterdam from China. And like it was like it, it was mostly hormones. Yeah, <laughs> I was mm. really struggling, but I had this 
very tiny new person that I wanted to protect. And I remember putting her in her car seat and I was crying next to her because I didn't want to touch her because I thought my hands were dirty. And she was just crying and crying and crying. And I knew she was hungry, but I wouldn't touch her until we got to the hotel later and I washed my hands and then I fed her. But um, when we got home that night from Amsterdam, my, my mom and my and her boyfriend were staying in Amsterdam for the night, but they had come for after the birth to to help me. My mom was here for the first two weeks. And so they were staying the night in Amsterdam and we drove back home. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. When we got home that night, we couldn't find the nipple shields. And so she was crying and crying and crying. And so I kind of just laid on my back and I put her like, I can't even remember the official name, but tummy to tummy. And yeah. she kind of just latched. And I was like, like kind of watching. Like a nursing position. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And she was just cut. She just kind of latched. And so I was kind of watching like, okay, is this going to work? And then I was like really scared. Like, am I going to start bleeding again? This doesn't yeah. hurt. Is it going to get worse? Um, but she was able to compensate and nurse with the, with the tongue ties wow. or tongue tie and lip tie. Yeah. Um, what up, um, what ended up having us revise them? Um, we wouldn't have revised them if there weren't, um, significant concerns. I suspected she had them, but since nursing was going okay, I thought it would be okay. We ended up reaching out to a lactation consultant. And of course, there's none in my town. I had to go to, we, we went to an IBCLC in Swola. Or I, actually, I tried to make a appointment with her, but she ended up helping me over the phone, which was amazing. Cool. Because I found out that based on how much she was nursing, um, the symptoms she was having, she was extremely, Set, like it's normal for a newborn to be gassy, which I think also most mothers don't know. It is totally normal for your baby to be gassy and maybe a little crampy. And that's because their digestive system is learning to work. But, yeah. but if it's excessive and then it can be an issue. And this was like, she was crying all day. She was uncomfortable. She was constantly, we were doing bicycle kicks and tummy rubs and there was so much gas. And you could tell this was more than, uh, a new digestive system learning to work and so we found out I had an oversupply and basically she was getting too much mm. fore milk and not enough okay. high milk now the fore milk of course is being very like a hydrating um, mostly water but it's very hydrating to your baby and important and it's like a thirst quenching thing and the high milk is fattier and has um, more nutrients and it's more nutrient dense and she was I had an imbalance because I had an oversupply and so we started block feeding. Okay. And so basically she got one breast for three hours at a time and she couldn't have the other one until the next three hours. Um, she could still breastfeed as much as she wanted, but that kind of helped with the oversupply instead of feeding on both breasts every time. It's a great idea. Um, and that was a tip that, that IBCLC had given us. Mm -hmm. And after we switched that, her symptoms lessened, but they were still, she was still struggling. And so that's when we kind of started to think, you know, this could be from an improper latch. Um, she's swallowing too much air. Okay. And by then she was two and a half months old and we took her and had the tongue and lip tie revised. And I'm very grateful because they said that hers were very tight. And while they can, they can get looser later, they said it also could have caused severe dental or speech issues. Yeah. Because, sure. of, how, because of how tight it was. Mm-hmm. So after that, it was like I, the first week after we had it revised, I regretted it because I felt like we were learning to breastfeed all over again. Her mouth felt like 
I don't know how else to say it, like loose. She was loose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we were seeing a chiropractor who was certified to work with babies. And yeah, it got really better after the first week. And then her gas issues also started getting better. And yeah, she was still gassy, but like new normal newborn gassy, not excessive like it was. Great. So oh, we we had um, a lot of mountains to get over. Yeah. Um, at six months, I had depression that really started kicking in and I'm still struggling with that. Yeah. I'm not alone. Many the... moms are in that same and a lot of it's hormonal, situational. Yep. Mom life is hard and your hormones are just crazy. Yeah. And Corona and, and this newborn ba- and we were in lockdown by then. And yes. yeah, it was just insane for me. And so the depression really kicked in then. Um, and I got into counseling and they officially, they said that I just have depression that was worsened by postpartum because I said, based on what I was telling them, I already had it. It just got worse. It wasn't official postpartum depression. Okay. I don't really care about the label. It was just, it was awful. Help. And you it got was it. really hard you. then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still in counseling and that's still something I'm working through because that's something new moms are forgotten so easily. And mm-hmm. it's really sad, but I wanted to give up, but I, all I could think that whole time was you have made it six months. If you stop now, you will regret it because if you can't just stop for a week, if you stop, you're done. You can't start again in next month if you change your mind. And so I really persevered even through the really dark moments of that depression um, because I knew, you know, just make it. I, I originally had the goal to breastfeed her until she was two to three years old. And at that six month point, I altered it to say, I want to get to a year. I just want to get to a year. And I was able to get through those really dark, dark weeks. It was, I'm getting a little bit emotional talking about this. No, um, I'm so happy you're sharing though. <laughs> it's, it was really dark times for me. Um, but we got through it. And at nine months old, this is probably way TMI, but I had to have a colonoscopy because I was being tested for celiacs and Crohn's. Mm -hmm. And I have a family history of both and I was having some pretty bad intestinal issues. So I needed to be tested. Now a colonoscopy for anyone who has not had the delight, you have to drink this really disgusting, they call it a colon cleanse or some colon prep or I don't know. Prep is nasty. It's so nasty. And it basically cleans everything out of your system until there is water coming out of where water should not come out. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's nasty and it burns and it tastes awful. and But it completely empties your digestive system until there's no food left. Because of that, my milk supply tanked. Like bad tanked. Like it was... I was crying because I thought I didn't have any left. Like she was crying when she came off the breast and she was nuzzling and swatting and she wasn't getting anything and she would switch sides and it was the same thing. And I had to start supplementing. I started um, at nine months old. I started using raw goat's milk in place of a formula. Um, I had access to it and I felt like that was a little bit of a better option, but yeah, do your own research because people will, get on you for raw milk. So not for everyone, but but yeah, I don't judge you for what you feel like is best for your family. So yeah, it depends on what you like. But anyway, my point being, I had to feed her a bottle of milk and I cried and cried. And I think we did that for four days 
after she breastfed, I'd have to give her milk. And I was bringing her to the breast every moment. I was baby wearing and I was trying to get that milk supply back. And I was so scared it wasn't going to come back. Like I was so scared because I wanted to make it at least to a year. For me, it's a stupid thing because you should never feel like you failed if you stop sooner. But I knew for me, I would feel like I failed and I didn't want to have that feeling. So I gave her the goat's milk, but after about a week in, my supply came back up and I stopped supplementing. Oh, wow. And so I was oh. so relieved. Yeah, that's a a rough little, um, it was, rough little moment there. It oh. was scary. I was... I can't describe the feeling like I think until you've breastfed and you've been through that where suddenly your milk has dropped significantly like that's a horrible feeling like you don't want to stop before you're ready yeah it's all about choice like you said like if you're end in a scenario that wasn't your choice it those feelings that come with that are hard to get through exactly I'm impressed that you persevered and refused to quit because that's what your stubborn (laughs) goals were (laughs) yeah wow Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I was really glad. All right. Your fourth one, I loved. And you said, after all this hard stuff, you've talked about some really real moments, some really raw parts of motherhood. And then you said breastfeeding is amazing. Can you tell us more? Yeah, breastfeeding is the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But it's like the best thing I've ever done, too. Like... Getting to have, but I can't describe the bond that it gives you with your child. And I'm sure, like, I I know if you formula feed or if you bottle feed or if you pump and bottle feed or however you feed your baby, I know you still get that incredible parent-child bond. But when you breastfeed, it gives something different. Like, you you are your child's comfort. Your child doesn't come for you to you for comfort. You are their comfort. And so... That is like the amazing, like the little, I remember the first weeks, I have so many pictures of a little milk drunk newborn who, oh my gosh, so cute. It's like dripping out of their mouth and their like eyes are rolled back and they're like, I love you Their mouth is wide open and there's little (laughs) dribbles and they're just like passed out on your boob and it's so cute. Um, When they're learning to... Well, actually, even when she was even just a couple days old, she was smiling out of reflex when she breastfed. Mm. And that was the sweetest thing because like, okay, as a first time mom, I didn't even know that a newborn couldn't smile. Like, I didn't know that they didn't have the knowledge on how to socially smile. But she would smile when I breastfed her. And so that was like the most special thing for me to get to see her little smile and the milk dribbles, like you said, or when she did learn how to socially smile, when she would stop nursing and grin at me and the milk would dribble all over. And yeah, you better get used to milk dribbles because your clothes are going to cover it in milk for as long as you breastfeed. Uh, but... Yeah. <laughs> and your <laughs> bed the... and the rugs the sheets, and the everything. couch, all of yep. it. <laughs> it's milked. But it's like the sweetest thing when all of a sudden they pop off and they grin at you and then they lay their head on you and then they start nursing some more. And, you know, when you're <laughs> laughing, when, um, I don't know, I guess my, I have a friend who actually has a baby who's about eight, seven weeks younger than Charlotte, seven weeks exactly younger than Charlotte actually. And so we kind of went through this together. She's also breastfeeding. Um, and she had a home birth 
And so she always used, she, she had struggles also with her supply and I put her in contact, I think with the same IBCLC I used, but, um, she, where I had oversupply, she had undersupply. Um, and so she was able to work through that also, but she, she didn't experience this, but for me, I would have like a shower head if Charlotte would nurse and then she would stop before the letdown had stopped it would be like a shower head and I would be spraying her all over her face and I would laugh so hard and I would be yelling for my husband like grab me a towel grab me a towel and like and that happened for the first couple of months it doesn't happen anymore but it's like a really fond memory of breastfeeding I have because it's just so ridiculous yeah oh that's funny (laughs) yeah yeah another thing I had talked about was when your child gets sick Um, the fact that, so breastfeeding actually creates a suction on the breast and I don't need to explain this to you, of course, but but when it creates a suction and there's like a little bit of backwash sort of thing going on. And I know that sounds really nasty, but that's actually adding biofeedback to your body on what your child needs. So every time you feed your baby, it's going to have this special biofeedback and that's even special specifically for breastfeeding and not pumping is you have this special biofeedback and your body will react to how your child or to what your child needs. So like when my daughter was sick, um, she was actually sick on her first birthday, which was also her first Christmas, poor baby. Um, But she was sick and I could see the difference in my milk. It had changed from like this almost white or blue creamy milk. Like, yeah, my milk turns blue sometimes. It's weird, but yeah, I guess normal. that's normal. Normal, yeah. <laughs> um, but it had turned from that back into this thick yellow, like colostrum type milk, like from the first milk from when she was born. And I know because I do have some sort of training in it. I, I do remember it somewhere in my head that that was actually the antibodies coming back through my milk because she was sick so it was literally like the breast milk had transformed formed not only from food but also into medicine for her while she was sick that's amazing what a cool way to think about it it's just so awesome like the more i learn about also like after she was born i learned about the microbiology of birth i took a course in um infant the infant microbiome and i read a couple books on it and it was just so interesting like I was so grateful that we had a vaginal birth and that I was able to breastfeed her right away, that seed and feed and to feed the gut flora. And the more I learn about breastfeeding, just the more amazed by it I am. And I'm so proud and happy that I got to make it this far. And again, like, I don't, I don't say that to say anything against someone who, who didn't, who did stop, who, you know, your battles are not my battles, but I'm so glad I got through my battles. Yeah. I, I'm proud of you too. You really were, went through a lot of different things. And once you got a handle on the new thing, another Something one came, else came up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm proud of you too. And I think it's absolutely fine to be proud of yourself and to say, I'm, I'm excited about what I was able to accomplish and it shouldn't make anyone else feel bad if their exactly. story looks different because their exactly. story a hundred percent does look different. I haven't met a mom yet who had the same the same experience yeah yeah and that's what I say also like I said like when I said I'm not lucky like some people say that and it's because they stopped breastfeeding sooner and it's not that it's not a reflection on you it's just for me I wasn't lucky 
I worked really hard for this. Luck implies that it's just some cosmic thing I had no part in, but this was something I worked for. Um, I actually, one of the reasons I worked so hard for it and I kept going when it was hard and I only found out um, when she was like 10 or 12 months old, or 10, 10, 11 months old. She's 12 months old now. Words, they escape me sometimes. Yeah, it's, the end, <laughs> it's the end of the week and I'm feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> but when she was 10 or 11 months old, I actually found out that my mom, I thought she had breastfed all of us. And my mom got pregnant with me when she was 16. I was born when she was 17. And I thought that she had breastfed me the whole time. And I found out, and that was what kept me going, was my mom was 17 with a newborn. And she breastfed. If she did this, I can keep going. Yeah, I can get there. You know, if she did this, so can I. That was kind of like, that was the biggest motivator when it was hard for me was if my mom did this, so can I. I found out when my daughter was 10 or 11 months old that my mom got mastitis when I was two months old and stopped breastfeeding. (laughs) So that was like, kind of like, wait, what? Come on. This has been my motivation. No, you know? Yeah. And she did my brothers. um, I'm not sure what she did with my sister. I think she said she breastfed my sister till she was four months old or something like that. And and then I have two brothers after us. I'm, I'm the oldest. And then there was my sister and my two brothers. And my brothers were breastfeeding, I think, until they were like two. Um, so that was what I saw was that they breastfed till two. And I thought, like, of course, I don't remember. I thought we all did that. Oh, so I laugh now looking back. like, And that was such a big motivator for me. So it was a little bit like, oh, okay. I didn't well, know thanks that. Thanks for but... not telling me that until yeah, I already made for... it this far. Like, Yeah, thank really. You. Thanks for not telling me, though, because that was my motivation. <laughs> Well, Sierra, I have loved talking with you today and I so appreciate you sharing your story, especially some of the harder moments. Um, I, I think a lot of moms can relate with you and you have a lot of good information to share. Is there anything else you'd like to share with new moms, expecting moms, any words of motivation um, as we kind of close out this interview? Um, okay. I think the biggest two things were have faith in yourself. You can do it. It's hard. Believe me. I know I've been there on like multiple different fronts. It is hard. But if you want to do it, you can do it. So just persevere. You can do it. And the other thing is have snacks because at midnight after your baby's born, you're going to be hungry. <laughs> have <laughs> snacks. Yeah. I, I'm going to title that for the episode. This one's by Sierra. Have snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's no, I, I actually had um, like those little Belvita breakfast bar thingies. I yeah. kept them in my room for the first couple months because like I could not get through the night without a snack. I, Nobody tells you about is, the breastfeeding. No lunches. one tells you. You're exactly right. Have <laughs> snacks. If you took away nothing else from today, get Have your snacks. snack bucket for your breastfeeding station. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sierra. I know you're busy. You've got a lot you're working on, but I appreciate you taking the time with us today and, and sharing your story. Yeah, it was fun. I hope I didn't wrap a trail too much. <laughs> no, it was perfect. You can see all the links and stuff we talked about from today down in our show notes. And you can also um, go and check my website, newlittlelife.com for all the stuff that is over there. There's some online breastfeeding course, some other helpful resources for you there too. So that's it for today. And thanks again, Sierra. Sierra.